Welcome to Lift Off with Energizing Results, the podcast that can help you become a better partner in your family and a self-propelled leader with inner certainty in your business. Now, here's your host, Uwe Dockhorn. Welcome to Lift Off with Energizing Results. Let me start with an invitation for you before we dive in. This is a safe and neutral space here. The more open and honest you answer the questions that will come up to yourself, the more effective this will be for you. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Don Schminke. How are you doing, Don? And where are you hanging out right now? <laughs> uh, right now, I'm in Baltimore um, until tomorrow, and then I'm flying somewhere else. But uh, that's where I am right now. You're flying 200,000 kilometers a year? Is that right? Yeah, miles, still... yeah. Miles, yeah. sorry, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Don Schmenke, acclaimed author of The Code of Executive, featured in Wall Street Journal and USA Today, is an award-winning speaker, researcher, Saga Leadership Institute founder with over 1,700 speeches. Very impressive. And I think your mission to get control of your winning mindset to boost your organization's speed, market advantage, and say it's, it's just remarkable. Again, very thankful I can talk to you today, Don. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Wonderful. So let's dive right in. So who's your ideal client and what's the biggest challenge they face? It's kind of like a bell curve. I, on one end, the ideal client is the, an enlightened client. They, they know they've achieved success and they want to keep pushing because they know that if they don't, uh, it's going to go backwards. Uh, the other client is the client that's on the other end of the curve that's... Um, in, in pain, you know, maybe they're uh, struggling with sales or organizational performance issues, or it could be infighting. It could be, you know, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are my ideal clients. The people in the middle aren't, aren't eventually they'll move in one of the other directions, but they're just not there yet. And everything's fine. And we really don't need to worry about anything. And hopefully they won't, you know, um, but, you know, it's uh, life's not perfect. So uh, sometimes <laughs> things happen and people are like, you know what, we can do better as a company and let's get on with that. So that's that's those are the people I like working with. Wonderful. Can you can you just share a typical example of a, of a challenge they face? One of them. It could be balance sheet issues, uh, mm-hmm. sales, um, profitability. A, a lot of it uh, falls under the category of strategic growth. In other words, mm-hmm. Uh, and that can mean different things to different people. Uh, so what we what we'd like to do is look at like what is what does winning mean to you and your organization. And uh, so sometimes it's it's interesting. I think I think every CEO, uh, the good CEOs aren't ever satisfied. They're always they always want to keep pushing, keep getting to the next level. And so they'll call because maybe our, we're growing at 5% a year. We want to grow at 25% a year or 100% or something like that. And so we've been able to take companies two to three times uh, or sometimes 10 times, rarely, but mm. it does happen, uh, their size in a few years. But it's a matter of looking at uh, strategy and then implementation. So we spent a lot mm. of time in implementation. A lot of our clients have been with us like 10 years. Uh, and so we love um, going through the lifetime of corporate mm. growth because we learn a lot too we we uh mm. most of the models we created were might have come out of science or anthropology but testing them and applying them and measuring results mm. is really the only way to tell with if a management theory is going to work like mm. 
how did the PNL improve measurably? You know, and um, but I find a lot of theories are not tested that way. They, they're like good ideas. Uh, but when we get into them, when we look at autopsies, we do a lot of autopsies of dead mm. couples. Uh, we find Post-mortem that. Or... <laughs> yeah, it's like after they're dead, we look at what happened. And they had all the great leadership training. They had all the great strategic planning. They had all the, and, but they're still dead. So that's when we started asking why. You know, why did they mm. die? What were we missing? And that's, that led us to uncover these models. Some of them ancient, but, but could be evidence-based in today's science and, and medical and, and biological uh, evolutionary uh, explanations or, uh, you know, why did this work for thousands of years? And that's what we're interested in is, is that. So we learned a lot. We learned a lot more from autopsies mm. of dead companies than the best-selling management theories. And that's what helped us, I think, work with. Right tens of thousands of CEOs and, and yeah CEOs. well your your background is so impressive and you've done this for quite some time so it's it's, it's just amazing and so <laughs> the last time we yeah <laughs> well the last time I checked we are all humans right so what are common mistakes your clients typically make when trying to solve these kinds of challenges <laughs> it was interesting we we discovered this on an experiment we did with NBC on um on the K2 Summit, my co-author, Chris Warner, we wrote a book a number of years ago called High Altitude Leadership. And I was climbing with Chris in the Andes, and we had this idea for this book that NBC wanted to, uh, uh, to have filmed. And it was on um, his third attempt on K2. And Chris is one of the top rescue climbers in the world. And I mean, the guy's amazing working with him. And he, um, we noticed when he's pulling dead bodies off of mountains, they were clutching their tools. So hmm. he's probably pulled more dead bodies than most climbers have pulled off of mountains mm. frozen. And uh, I, and I was, I remember being on the radio with him and I was like, Chris, this is what we find in companies. A lot of dead companies are clutching their tools. So one of the reasons things don't work is I think we get seduced by our tools. Mm. And when I do my speeches or workshops with CEOs, I, I, one of the questions that seems to have an impact is you need tools for sure, but are you using them or are they using you? Mm. And that's the flip, you know, that's like, oh, wow. You know, because we find a lot of dead companies that have all the greatest tools. They have all the greatest software. They have all the best selling books on their shelves. They brought in all the top trainers and coaches. And there was nothing wrong with all that. All that's good mm -hmm. stuff. But the seduction, I think, took them into a place where, you know, death was imminent. And so um, we love like resurrecting companies if we can still mm -hmm. them early enough. But I think there's a lot we're not teaching, and it has to. Mm -hmm. I think getting away from tool seduction is a good first step. Use your tools, well, don't let them use you. Yeah, I, I hear you. So, and there's a theme I see <laughs> the pattern <laughs> that occurs. So, before I ask Don, what is one valuable free action that our audience can easily implement? Let me really say something here to our audience. If you are enjoying the show so far, please rate and recommend us to someone you think could benefit from the show. Thank you in advance for spreading the word. So Don, what is one valuable free action that our audience can implement that will help with these kinds of issues? A free action. Oh, I don't know if there's anything. We just talked about tools, but you kind of like, we want to make it tangible. <laughs> it costs you uh, either pain, suffering, or money. <laughs> so I haven't found any nice free things that don't cost anything. Um, I think. I think it's a matter. Nobody of, can afford an autopsy, so I, I would just <laughs> carefully. We don't want to go there. <laughs> Our job is to stop that from happening. Um, I think it's a matter of challenging uh, what we what we've learned. 
you know, because mm -hmm. whenever we went into situations, we 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 had to unhook what they had learned. Uh, so I would question what you know, or, or or question the answers that you're getting. You know, as an example, like one of the patterns I saw was why is it that companies that failed or were failing had all the best training in leadership, as an example. You know, so they all knew like what level of leadership they needed to be, or I need to be a servant leader, I need to be, you know, a wide driven leader and all this stuff. But I was like, it's all great because obviously there's millions of copies of books sold and all of this, but they were still failing. And then I, I said, oh my God, we have to unlearn how we're seeing leadership. And it's really not about style. Mm -hmm. You know, like every, every year there's a new best-selling book on this is the leadership style you need. Mm -hmm. You need to be this kind of leader. But when we saw so many companies failing with the best styles, I said, what, and that's great. I love, I love these, these style researches and these, these books that are published, but what was missing was speed of execution. Mm -hmm. In other words, they, they were, were not executing quickly. And mm -hmm. so the results they were trying to achieve were happening too slow or they couldn't course correct fast enough. They couldn't adapt quickly mm -hmm. and it was all around speed so so now what we're teaching is is different it's like yeah you need a leadership style but don't start with it end with mm -hmm. it in other words mm -hmm. look at what speed is for your the execution of your strategy to win mm -hmm. and then back into hey what's the style that's going to help us get there mm -hmm. and sometimes i, I know I'm, I'm politically incorrect and and 90 of my speeches <laughs> i said sometimes being a dictator is actually okay. You know, and um, I, I remember talking to the former president of Porsche and he had an interesting uh, story. He said, Don, he says, you know, when you're in a pit stop, that's not the time to have a team meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, that car comes in, somebody yells and you respond. There's no mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't like how you're talking to me or, you know, we need a communications <laughs> intervention. No, no, no. It's like grab the freaking hammer. And I, so I think there are moments where we forget that there's a number of styles and they should be used situationally. Certainly there's, there are times when it's okay to dictate what needs to happen and it's okay mm -hmm. for the team to respond. You can have the team meeting later or, but, or, or ahead of time, but <laughs> in the moment. And so that's why I think we need to question our seduction to the tool of leadership styles mm. and start putting it in place where we're using it for executing brilliantly and not mm. letting it use us. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I totally agree. So I was just uh, remembering. So I grew up in a, we had my, my parents, we had a, a coffee shop for 150 people. And so, and there were times when, there was just kind of like doing and not yeah. just thinking and like, could you please? And no, no, it's just like go time. So as you were describing, I was just reminded of that. And so I totally understand that coming from that perspective and sometimes it gets lost uh, in, yeah. in, in kind of like being too polite or, or so, but you know, it, it's not effective to some extent. And when you need to, to deliver and like, execute on, any, on on something, you know, you better, you know, lead in the right way so that others can follow and to achieve um, a result, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's it. Makes total sense. I totally agree. And that's so, the laboratory being in that business. <laughs> yeah. You're engaged with the customer like moment by moment. There's no, there's no wait time. 
there's no no kind of like oh i'm sorry i have to take care of my my skin right now <laughs> no no oh good i totally understand that so um i want to give you also the platform to share where people can find you but also what is one valuable free resource that you can direct people to that will help with that but also in a broader sense oh yeah um we're trying to put everything into a website called saga leadership we stole it from the vikings <laughs> s-a-g-a <laughs> saga leadership.com and uh, on the site, uh, I'm trying to, um, when I have time, I want to do more writing, you know, uh, do more on the blog where we're uncoupling management myths and replacing them with, with science. Uh, and the new, a new book came out, our new book uh, this, this week, actually, Winners and Losers. Mm -hmm. And that came out of an interesting set of research. Uh, I've been working on this for like six years. And because people say, look, Don, you've, you've trained like tens of thousands of CEOs. What do you have for entrepreneurs? And like, well, what did you learn from seeing them go through that journey? And it was interesting because I found that most of what we're not teaching in entrepreneurship is how to lose powerfully. We're teaching how to win. We're not teaching how to lose. But when I went to the background of a lot of successful entrepreneurs and a lot of CEOs I was working with, their history was littered with failures and mistakes and it's how they were in a moment of pain <laughs> that made them great. And so mm -hmm. I thought maybe we should teach it that way. So it was a, it was a fun book. I'm, I'm glad we finally got it out to the market. But um, yeah, sagaleadership.com uh, is probably a good place to start. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait <laughs> until the book is going to be released. So, of course, we put everything in the show notes so folks can check it out. So, yeah. uh, what's the one question I should have asked you that would be of great value to our audience? I don't know. I guess, uh, <laughs> how do I question? <laughs> I, <can> well? like... <laughs> I know people uh, were like, you know, you do these expeditions and you try to visit these lost civilizations or these remote mm -hmm. tribal communities and what what's the question you're looking to answer and i really don't know um that's why i had a self-fund on my research because I, I don't think there would be a university that would say hey you know uh we'll fund your next research project i'm like uh, okay great i'm gonna go uh back to africa in this region well what are you gonna do i, I don't know what are you gonna learn i don't know what do you hope to find i don't you know so that's the whole thing is to be open and to tell you mm -hmm. i have I've never had a situation where I didn't learn a lot, mm -hmm. you know, as I'd be in situations filming and interviewing and there was always these ahas, these surprises, these, Oh, wow. How come no one knows this? And, and as a teacher, that's, I think what good teachers want to do. They want to be able to research, discover something that's not known and bring that to, to their students or, or whoever they're educating mm -hmm. to, uh, to expand their minds a bit. So Maybe that's the question, is how do I question? Yeah, maybe. maybe. So I, I was just thinking about, so my question would be, so um, how large is uh, is your curiosity? <laughs> yeah. Because I think you need that to, to just explore, to do the research and just uh, be open and, and, and just go out and do it, right? Yeah, I think uh, I have a learning addiction. I, I'm addicted to learning and um, it's... it's uh, it can, I mean, it could be great as a researcher, obviously. I think mean, great researchers love to learn it. It could suck in relationships or when you're trying, <laughs> trying to focus on your personal life because you're always out there doing something different. But yeah, I, I, I learning is uh, for me, I, I love learning and teaching and it allows me to make a number of mistakes and to, uh, and to learn from them. And then mm. that's how our models have evolved over the past 20, 30 years is just doing that. 
It's just amazing, this, this, this journey. So this already brings me to my final question. It's a personal one. When was the last time you experienced goosebumps with your family and why? Hmm. My family's been through a lot. Um, and uh, I got custody. Uh, and so I was able to be with my kids directly, but it was really a struggle always to, to uh, have to do this work and then have to raise uh raise my kids and i think the uh i think goosebumps always happened uh when i saw them smile mm. just as that right it can be so simple yeah mm -hmm. i'm having the shivers right now so thank you don <laughs> for that mission accomplished <laughs> wonderful uh Thank you, Don, for our conversation. Also for this reminder of a, of a so simple goosebumps moments that you can have with your loved ones. It was a pleasure talking to you and I appreciate very much the knowledge and insights you share with us today. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening. And as always, energizing results for you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on Apple Podcast, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at uve.corn.com.